Hello and welcome to Alexandra Marshall Live, a show where we seek out those rare individuals who are holding the line in the culture wars while our dear conservative leaders pretend that nothing is happening. Today's guests, by my reckoning, must be one of the last people in the church prepared to defend the faith that sits at the heart of Western civilization. An exceptional political commentator, writer, broadcaster and British conservative who stood for the Brexit party in 2019, Calvin Robinson, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. How can I ever live up to that introduction? <laughs> we try and make our audience impressed, but you are a very impressive figure. And uh, firstly, I'd like to thank, thank you. you for the many public speeches and appearances that you do. Speaking and uh, what does the left say? Speaking truth to power. Uh, it can't be easy standing <laughs> up to your peers in the public. <laughs> It's not always easy, no, but we have to, well, we have to be true. You're absolutely right there. Um, it's been a difficult week, actually, with a lot of different cancellations. And when someone circular cancels me, I have no problem launching it out there. But I've been cancelled by the church again this week. And they, I struggle there. I'm like, these are our, supposedly our allies. These are our friends, our Christian brothers. But we have to hold them to account, too. We have to hold each other to account. Well, normally I do a lot of talking too much, as uh, one of my dear friends likes to remind me, but this time I have come here to listen. You, Calvin, are one of the very few who are prepared to discuss what is going on in the church and the implications this has for the wider community, especially those like myself who are not religious but fear the creep of Marxism. I'd like to begin by asking you the really tough question. Does the Christian church still influence a world where even conservatives are increasingly irreligious? And if the church were to lose its traditional identity, what does that mean for society at large? Oh, big question. I think we have to differentiate here between the West and the rest of the world because the West is falling. It does feel like, you know, the end of the Roman Empire right now with decadence and degeneracy everywhere and kind of values out of the window and our way of life is deteriorating before our very eyes. And that includes the church, the Western church, you know, the, the Anglican church in the West, at least in England, Wales, Scotland, Australia, Canada and America. However, when we look further afield to the African continent and Southeast Asia, we see, and, and Eastern Europe as well, we see that the faith is strong and their values are strong as a result. Traditional values, family values, Christian values, it's all the same thing. But without the faith, it's very difficult for a good society to survive. And I think that this is a problem we have in the West in that a lot of conservatives have decided that they don't need to, the faith to be conservative. And I would suggest that actually... Probably it's difficult to see the world um, in, in, a, in a certain perspective unless you have the faith, because this a lot of people say this is a cultural war that we're in right now. We're fighting for our culture. No, it's not a cultural war. It's a spiritual war. We're fighting for the very soul of our way of life. We're fighting for the soul of our nations and our nationhood and our communities. And we can't separate the soul from the body, just as a human person is part body, part soul. Our countries are just the same. Well, while it is true that not all individuals require religion, would you largely agree that all societies need something to worship? I wouldn't even say it's true that all individuals don't require religion. I would say, how do you get um, 
a moral compass without religion and people will say oh because i you know pluck them out of the air no 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 people will say you know certain values are universal and i believe in this way and that but where do they come from in the west they come from the christian faith right and they're obviously very different values to places like in the middle east where they have islamic values uh, our moral compass is one example of something that we need from our faith but also our sense of purpose and self right so in the west at the moment People are searching for what they call identity, and they're finding it in their mutable characteristics. And the left is exploiting this and saying, you know, you are black, you are um, Asian, or you are gay, or you are trans, whatever. Just exploiting people by putting them into boxes so that they can control them and say, you know, we're the party for gay people, we're the party for Arabic people, whatever, in order to gain their votes. Where actually our identity isn't rooted in these immutable characteristics. I would say our identity is rooted in a couple of things. One, it's in our family. Two, it's in our wider community, which is our nationhood. And three, it's in our faith. And these are the things that unite us, especially our faith, unites us regardless of our nationality, regardless of our ethnicity, uh, where we were born, where our parents were born. All of these things should be irrelevant and can be irrelevant. Uh, But we're being pigeonholed because we've lost our root. Well, we'll get into some interesting questions about culture and Christianity in a second. But without the Christian church, I'm just wondering if we're going to have a little look in the future for a second. Do you suspect that the West will eventually adopt a traditional religion like Islam to replace Christianity? Mm-hmm. Or will it give into political ideology like communism? Or is this the new dawn of a sort of paganism via the climate change cult and others? Which way do you think the West would, have, would fall without Christianity? That's- that's very good because it does answer your previous question. In, in the, does a nation need a, a faith? And yes, absolutely. Nature abhors a vacuum. It's, it's, I think it's impossible to be a secular society, right? Which means that if the West is no longer a Christian society, that void will have to be filled naturally by something else. And this is why we're, we're lost and struggling as a people at the moment because we're latching onto multiple different things. Now, many people, the liberal progressives are latching onto the religion that is wokeness, that it does come with its own rituals, its own sacrifices, its own moral codes. It is a religion. It's all its own orthodoxy and its own heresies. And, you know, this is why the woke people cancel people who would disagree with them because they see them as heretics. And if they could, they probably would burn us at the stake, right? They, they're, they're witch hunters, the, the woke lot. And, and so the woke people have their religion. But it's not a successful religion because it's not rooted in any kind of truth. Uh, It's very subjective. It's quite hostile to other human beings. Whereas on the other hand, so this is a pincer movement here. So the West is being gripped partly by wokeness, but also partly by Islam. And this is for many obvious reasons, but mass immigration from Islamic countries, um, birth rates, for example, in this, in the UK, uh, the majority of British nationals aren't reproducing at a rate to replace themselves. And, you know, fertility rates are massively decreasing. At the same time, the Islamic population, the Islamic demographic in this country is massively increasing in fertility rates. So there's a natural overtaking there. And the answer for me is Christianity, because Christianity is the only faith um, of the three that we just discussed that is actually truly tolerant of people of different faiths and not. It's the only faith that supports diversity. Look at any Christian country around the world. You can be any religion you like. This is the whole purpose that America was set up as Christian states, right? Uh, So that you can be a Christian or not. 
and this is a separation of church and state in that you can be it's a christian state however the state itself isn't christian um if that makes sense Yes, it does. Whereas and you're, toler- you're very kindly world. tolerating me as well. So uh, good, <laughs> perfect evidence of the Christian faith being tolerant. Right. But look at Islamic countries around the world and they are intolerant. And you cannot be of any other faith in an Islamic country. You will be persecuted if not killed. This is true. Well, it is my position that uh, even though I am not religious myself, if we need a faith as a culture, then we should defend Christianity. But from where I'm standing... The church itself is under threat from an onslaught of competing collectivist ideologies. And this isn't the first time in history that the church has cuddled up to the hard left of politics. We've had romantic socialism, Christian socialism, Christian communism, just as a few examples. Is Christianity particularly vulnerable to collectivism? No, it's not. It's not Christianity that's the issue. It's, It's the West and Christians in the West looking around us at society and saying, how can we be more welcoming to these people? How can we be more inclusive to these people? Forgetting what the word inclusive means in a Christian context, which is that people should all, of course, everyone should be welcome, especially to come to church, but they should be expected to change their ways to fit the faith. And now we want people to change the faith to fit their ways. And that's back to front. Uh, We need people to remain orthodox in the faith. And this is what they're doing fantastically across the African continent and Southeast Asia, as, as an example. But we've forgotten how to do that. So we need to have that conversation again and say, what do we believe? Why do we believe it? And it's not all about being nice. It's not all about being welcoming and inclusive. It's about being true and doing it in a loving way, absolutely, but remaining true. My question to you, though, is if you, if you see the, the importance of being a Christian and you see the importance of Christianity for the West, why are you not a Christian? Because I don't believe it. But I do understand how some religions throughout all of human history have been helpful to the development of human history. So I appreciate the concept of religion, but I personally don't follow religion. But I am actually going to test you here on, uh, uh, on these difficult questions about the faith itself, because I've observed some historical issues with Christianity that I think make it vulnerable, and we can debate and see what you think. So I thought we'll walk through um, and see what you think. I have often wondered if, for example, the dream of utopia offered by collectivism is the apple that lures church leaders into the dream that's very similar to Christianity where they come from. Because, you know, if you go back to the Middle Ages and before it, a life free of poverty and death and famine and war was put on the table by even the earliest socialists of Europe before it was called socialism. And that wooed a lot of church leaders. So, you know, you've got today church leaders talking about environmental utopias, and it all sounds very similar. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's counter to the faith, though. So in the Christian faith, we understand that we're all fallen and the world is broken and it will never be a utopia. The whole purpose of Christ coming is to bring in his kingdom and to remind us that his judgment is coming. And we're supposed to live good lives as best we can, but understand that we cannot fix this broken world. Our utopia is in the next life, in the everlasting life, with him, in him, and through him. But we cannot turn this world into utopia. So if people try, then they're forgetting the teachings of Christ. But there are church leaders who do seem to warm up, especially to eco-socialism and the promise of a, a salvaged world. Are they perhaps falling into yeah, a trap that you're not... Is counter to the faith too. So they're, they're basically just wrong, is what you're saying? 
Yeah, dead wrong. I mean, they're not following the church's teaching. The, the magisterium of the Catholic Church teaches, uh, and the, the Pope has said, well, most of the popes, I don't think the most recent one has said it very recently, but that socialism is not um, conductive to the, the Christian faith. And it's not just within Catholicism, it's the, the Catholic Church is in the church universal. You cannot be, you cannot marry the church to socialism because it's all about equity. And the, the Christians understand that we're not equal. We're equal in the eyes of God in terms of our dignity and our worth. But in every other way, we're completely unequal, which, you know, I'm six foot five, for example, so I can reach higher shelves than you, perhaps. That makes yeah. us unequal in one aspect. You know, there are many areas of our lives where we'll be unequal in different ways. Um, and to pretend that there's a possibility of us being like that in everything is, is a falsehood. Unless I wear my platform heels and then I might have you on that one. Uh, but I do, <laughs> but I, you'll probably not have to bang your head on, on, tall, on ceilings and stuff like that. You say that, but when I wear my heels, I do hit my head on the train because I'm not used to being tall because I'm quite short. But totally beside the point, this question is directed not at church leaders who should know better, but at uh, the flock, people who might not, especially young people who might not really understand their faith. So view the question in that framework of those people. As far as Christian vulnerability to collectivism, I argued once that mm -hmm. Christianity and communism share a few ideas that make it easier for political activists to convert their followers from within the Christian community. And some of these are the idea of an all-knowing, all-powerful father figure who keeps them safe, the idea of salvation through service to the greater good, and the need to be saved. And we saw some of this rhetoric uh, with churchgoers who embraced the whole COVID narrative. And we've got, you know, critical race theory has even nicked the notion of original sin from the church. Would you agree that some of these mm. parallels make it easier for these political ideologies to infiltrate churchgoers? Not churchgoers, no. I'd say people in general, because people in general, we're all born with an innate understanding of God. We all know there is a God. and We all know there is a truth out there. But many of us take a long time to get to that truth. We're searching for the truth, most of us, our entire lives. And some people are fortunate to find the truth earlier than others. And that truth is Jesus Christ. Like He is the truth, the way, and the life, right? But I think genuinely, in, in our hearts, we all have an understanding that there's something greater than us. Uh, so when you become a Christian, when you're born again, you understand that there is one truth. It's universal, and it is a person. It's a living person, a living God. So your search for the truth is no longer in the world or of, even of the world. It's bigger than that. Whereas for, for non-Christians who are still searching for that truth, it can be tempting to latch onto it where it's not, to latch onto worldly mistruths or half-truths um, such a, and, and searching for that authority, which is, yeah, you're right, in the COVID, you know, people seemed to like being told what to do and how to do it and how to live their lives. And they followed the instructions, even when it, was, when it went against their um, instincts, they did what the governments told them to. But I think it should have been harder for Christians to do that because they have a, a faith in something bigger than governments and, and local earthly authorities, or at least they should do. Well, this will frustrate you then. I, I went to Christian schools and most of my peer group were from the surrounding Christian schools. So everyone on my Facebook list is basically a Christian, except me and a handful of friends. And what will probably worry you is that we're the only ones who didn't subscribe to the totalitarian COVID right. behavior. We're the only ones who aren't marching in Black Lives Matter or the eco-fascist movement. So there's definitely 
for example, my church friends, especially the ones who were particularly interested in church, were the first to sign up to the eco-fascist movement. They were the first ones walking for Marxism and the Black Lives Matter movement. So I was trying to understand from you who understand the faith so well, why these young minds are being so rapidly mm. taken and converted to these movements. They're still Christians, but they're also an active part of these communities. And one of them is actually a church pastor now, and they run these movements inside their church and preach it. So in Australia, at least, I've seen this merging of these cultural activities. And that's why I'm asking you to find out why so many yeah. Christians have done that. Well, it's a lack of faith. Like, if they don't believe... So people that went to church and would no longer exchange the peace, would no longer touch the holy water in the stoop uh, to bless themselves, the people that would wear masks religiously, and I use that word intentionally, they've forgotten that, to have faith in something bigger. Like, you're in a place to literally receive the body and blood of God. That is more powerful than a silly little cloth mask over your face. Um, so I think people misplace their faith quite often. But the, the faith is weakening in these areas, especially where you are. You know, we've just had um, a GAFCON, uh, the Global Anglican Future Conference, set up a, a special province in, in Australia for people that are orthodox, because so many churches are no longer orthodox that people wanted to know where can they go to have good, sound teaching that isn't being watered down by these wet liberals, because the wet liberals are taking over. It's the same over here. You know, most of our bishops in the Church of England are absolutely dripping wet liberals and people are getting confused because they're not being taught properly. Well, one thing that I have observed is not only do they like the concept of guilt, which Marxists latch onto because guilt for Marxism is basically food. Uh, and they are taught in our schools that, you know, guilt is part of the religion that you then are forgiven for. But with the social justice movement, I found a lot of them seem to find a swifter path to redemption on social media through their eco-socialism than, for example, the community work that a church might do or service to the faith. So for the young and particularly the very young Gen Zs, is there a possibility that there might be a more lucrative path by social media than prayer that could be taking away some of these young Christians? Yeah, of course, it's, it's taking away lots of people. It's, it's a falsehood. It's the idea of, well, well virtue signaling is what we call it, right? But it is just people wanting to be good people. And if someone tells you to be a good person, you have to change your Instagram story to a black square. That's a nice, easy, quick fix, isn't it? Done. Okay, I'm a good person. Nice and carry on with my life. What if they had sound teaching that said, actually, no, to be a good person, you have to follow these Ten Commandments. And you also have to repent of your sins and seek forgiveness that's a lot more. That's a lot difficult. That's a lot more thing. A lot more things to do. Um, but people aren't being taught this. This is the issue. We're not being taught about sin or redemption or forgiveness. No. And we're being given the easy escape. <laughs> no, in uh, church schools where I come from, the first thing they teach you is how to be a good global citizen, even though it's a faith school. So what does that mean? No, I was there for many years, and that's, I still haven't worked it Marxism. out. <laughs> Yeah, well, that I was worried because they might be corrupting the next generation of churchgoers for you. You might have a quite a difficult task on your hand when these kids grow up. No, I think it's even better because these people are, they're lost sheep, right? So they're looking for shepherds. They're looking for someone who can tell them the truth unashamedly. And when they hear this fluffy stuff about young global citizens, deep down, they know that's not true. Nobody wants to be part of a global borderless WEF 
federation of states. That's horrible. It's nihilistic is what it is. Uh, but let's talk more about you. There are plenty activist, of activist church leaders holding high office. Um, and some outright preach that Jesus was a revolutionary socialist. Are gatekeepers like these people in the church stopping individuals such as yourself from rising through the church and attaining a more prominent position? I think uh, I read somewhere that, you that the church described your views as libertarian, anti-woke, anti-identity politics and COVID sceptical as if that was somehow a bad thing rather than virtuous attributes. Have you found that there's, yeah. it's hard to get in? It's impossible to get in. They, they are gatekeepers. So the Church of England has 116 bishops, right? Uh, well, it's got some new ones uh, as of last month. But during Brexit, there was one bishop, one of them, that came out for leave. The rest were all Remainers. And we see this, you know, whenever conservative government comes out with a policy that is um, about protecting our borders, that the bishops will come out against it, but you will never hear them defending it, right? So there's one, there's a clear bias there amongst our bishops that they're liberal, metropolitan elite types, uh, remainers, and there's no diversity there anymore. It used to, there used to be a bit of a split. There used to be, you know, quite a lot of conservatives and, and a lot of liberal liberals too. But now it's all they're all pretty much liberals, and that means they have become gatekeepers because they see conservatives as bad. They don't just see us as different or even wrong. They do see us as bad. And that's, that's wrong, actually. And their liberalism has become their religion. So someone like me is a massive threat to them. Of course, they'll do anything they can to stop me getting in. But likewise, people who, who are like-minded but quieter. So I have a, a platform, so I've got a big voice. But there are lots of people that are conservative in their theology and their politics that don't have this platform. And I, it's them that I worry about because they're just going to get cast aside. And it's not right when these are people that are called by God to serve him. And the church as an institution full of fallen individuals are saying, well, no, thank you, because we know better. Yes, well, it's clear that the faith needs defending. But uh, I'm wondering, why are you surrounded by meek peers, silent witnesses and church leaders who hold the doors open to the church's downfall? Uh, there are many good Deacons, priests, and bishops, there are, there are good ones. They're good, faithful people. But most of them are concerned, rightly so, because they know that the woke mob will come for them. At the moment they stick their head above the parapet, it will get chopped off. But they're forgetting that's what we're called to do. We're called to be persecuted. We are called to be martyrs for the faith. And these days we won't literally be martyrs, but our forefathers would have been. So we've got it lots. We've got it far easier than you know our ancestors had. But we we should be willing to die for the faith. I don't think many people are these days. We saw that again during COVID. You know, people should have said, "No, you will have to arrest me before I close the doors of my church. My people need this church. You know, my local community need me to pray for them, and they need to come here and pray. And this is God's house. Nobody can tell me I'm closing the doors of this church. That's what they should have said." However, they said, oh, okay, oh, you want me to, oh, okay, cool. That's the great shame. Why are so many meek? Uh, I don't know. I suppose it's a matter of faith. Well, I think you touched on what I was- fear God above all else. <laughs> I think you touched on what I was gonna say here, which is at least in Australia, I'm not sure how it is over there, but some church leaders have become obsessed with their, it's almost a corporate image online rather than their spiritual image and the image of the church. And there seems to be plenty of people who are prepared to sell out God to make their church more popular on platforms like TikTok. 
Yeah, I know. It's a great shame. The problem is liberalism. We keep coming back to it, but it's, it is liberalism is the issue. I think we re- need to realize that we are a countercultural faith, and that means we cannot adopt the norms of society. And if society is liberal or progressive, that doesn't mean it's a good or a bad thing, but it means we are not called to do that. We are called to be conservative in that we are traditionalists. We adhere to the orthodoxy of the church which means the scriptures and the traditions that have been handed down to us by Christ through his apostles and maintained for millennia. That is our job as ministers to teach the gospel, to preach the gospel and to live the gospel. And that's it, really. It's quite simple. So to be taking on board anything else, climate change, Brexit, BLM, doesn't matter. It's a falsehood. That's not what we're here to do. And we're not here to appease the woke mob. We're not here to be seen as nice by the rest of society. There are peaks and troughs in society. So, you know, progress is not linear. It's not always good. But we shouldn't try to be a part of it. We should be separate. We should be in the world, but not of the world. Very well said. Well, let's just talk for a moment about these competing collectivist ideologies. I raised the point uh, with another minister whom I know that some of these ideologies are essentially religion. And and before people write to me in the comments, not all religions in human history have themes of redemption. But my point is, when a church Mm. invites the climate change cult or some of the other variations we're seeing into its walls, and we've seen churches do this, uh, are they opening up a competition between a pagan-style religion and their own? And do they understand how dangerous that can be? Yeah, they are. It's a slippery slope. So cathedrals have, you know, had installations of great big moons, literally calling it Gaia. You know, it's it's installing the golden calf within the temple. That's what they're doing these days. But it's getting worse. So just this week, we've had Muslims invited into a cathedral to pray. We're not all praying to the same guy. And regardless of what people say, you know, we believe Christians believe in a triune God. We believe that Jesus Christ is the living God. Muslims do not pray to Jesus Christ as the living God. Therefore, we do not believe in the same God. We should not be desecrating consecrated ground by allowing pagans, uh, heretics, and heathens to pray to different gods. I use the word uh, God with a small g there. It's just not right. It's not proper and it's not Christian. But yes, we are welcoming it, welcoming it in, paganism, embracing it. Well, it is my view, and you can debate me on this, that Marxism and its kin ideologies don't actually need to destroy the idea of Christian religion, as most of my minister friends think. I suspect that Marxism and its eco-fascist ally simply wish to inhabit the church like a virus, because those movements are after votes, and you don't need to bury God to change the way Christians cast their ballots. Would you agree, or do you think the entire death of the Christian religion is what their ultimate goal is? I partly agree. I don't think the Christian religion can ever die because it is based on truth, and Christ will never let his church die. But that doesn't mean institutions can't die, like the Church of England, for example, could you know, fall quite soon. But where you're right in that, I, I think they are trying to infiltrate the church and take the church over. Where I think you're wrong is that you're saying it's for votes, I think this is bigger than that. I think this is about good versus evil. This is you know, essentially demonic. This is the devil saying, how can I undermine Christ? Well, I'll try and corrupt his church. And that's what I think is going on here. It's much bigger than just uh, winning an election and changing society. It's about changing the world. Well, your faith is obviously unshakable and you are not diverted into socialism and you hold the line. 
But there have been socialist movements within the church before. Uh, we've also got people like Martin Luther King Jr., who was basically a Christian socialist and said some pretty socialist things in his teaching, more so towards the end of his teachings. And if you look at the story of the church through the last three or 400 years, there have been socialist movements rising up from inside the church themselves, not from external forces. So I'm wondering, could you say that there is a cultural war within the church about whether or not socialism should exist? And is that um, hindering people like you trying to work to bring the church back to its faith? Oh, absolutely. From the 1960s onwards, the church disregarded the Leonine prayers. So the prayer for St. Michael is an example of something that used to be said after every mass, which prays for God to, well, uh, for God and his angels to rid the world of evil and Satan. And we've stopped praying for such things because I think a lot of people have stopped believing that Satan is a, a is a is a being and stop believing that evil exists in the world and therefore it has become rampant and it's been on an upward trajectory since the 1960s the sexual sexual revolution had a part to play in that too uh in that as as degeneracy increases and the christian faith has been decreasing at the same time um so i think that there's a lot going on there but socialism in general again is not compatible with the christian faith so it is demonic forces within the church. It is the enemy within. Whether you want to see demonic as literal or metaphorical, it is the enemy within. And, you know, capitalism on the other end of the spectrum isn't an ideology. It's a tool. And it's the least worst approach to to survival, right? And it, and it is compatible with the Christian faith because you need to accumulate wealth in order to distribute wealth. So you need to be able to make money before you can give to charity. So that's why it's important to maintain a capitalist system against a socialist system, because socialism means that everyone is equally poor and equally miserable. Well, you're quite right. What uh, Marxists and socialists and other collectivists get wrong is that their ideology is a political religion of sorts because it require, uh, requires allegiance, it requires a certain set of moral values, whereas capitalism doesn't care. It actually doesn't have any morality or ethics at all. It's an economic system. Yeah. Uh, so you're quite right. And I think that's why it's demonised so much because it is compatible with faiths. It doesn't have to be in conflict with any faith because it doesn't, doesn't care. In fact, <laughs> it needs faith. Yeah. Yes, it's meant to sit like as an underpin. A, a life based on, yeah. Yeah, it does. It like, underpins. This is the thing we have on the right, because people make the free market their religion too. And yeah, I'm a, I'm a capitalist. Like, yeah, I don't think capitalist is, is something you should be. Like, capitalism is a system we use, but you should have a faith to underpin your morality, because one without the other doesn't make much sense. No, well, something fun as we draw sort of toward the end. Do you have any memories of the most ridiculous thing that you've seen the church do lately or a particular favourite event that you've seen them carry on with? Oh, gosh. Um, there was the drag queen uh, recently invited to give some kind of service in a church. And you're thinking, well, these people, as in the priests should be defending the church against this kind of thing, not welcoming it in. Uh, there's the instant with the Bishop of Rome, with the circus circus around him. I mean, it just gets more and more ridiculous. Every day there seems to be something. It's basically I, the Babylon Bee does the church. I pray that we church. find our sanity. It's the Babylon Bee scene. Yeah, it is. It is. Look, even as a non-religious person, I've been watching some of these things happen going, that just, that's not what I want for the church. It shouldn't be happening. 
But as we draw to the end, uh, are you seeing any positive changes? Can you give us some hope that the church is turning toward its traditional values? Or would you like to implore everyone here to join you in the fight to rid the church of this parasitical collectivist ideology? So first of all, as Christians, we always have hope because we have hope of everlasting life in Jesus Christ. But as regards to this realm, yes, I, I do have a bit of optimism because I see what's happening. I mentioned there's a, a province that's been set up in Australia. There's also one in Canada and one in North America called ACNA, Anglican Church in North America, um, all part of the GAFCON movement. And essentially in Australia, Canada and America, the Orthodox Anglicans are growing at a rate that's exponential compared to the, the wets. Uh, we're not seeing that in the UK yet, but we've just had uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury and the General Synod of the Church of England have just allowed the blessing of same-sex unions, which is something that's obviously counter-Christian, doesn't make any sense. But as a reaction to that, GAFCON are getting involved in the UK too. And there's a massive conference happening next month in Africa, in Rwanda, that I'm hoping to go to, where Anglicans from all around the world, Orthodox Anglicans, will be getting together to say, how can we maintain the faith? And this will be the representatives of 80% of Anglicans around the world, so the vast majority of them who are sound, who are orthodox. It's a minority, a vocal minority, that are wet liberals, that are socialists, and that are um, false prophets and false teachers. But we are the majority. Well, is so there... have hope from that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's always good to have hope. You have to have some hope in humanity. Uh, is there a message that you'd like to give to the many irreligious conservatives who don't wish to convert, but are sympathetic to your cause and who would like to make sure that the church is preserved even if they themselves don't want to follow it? I'd say there's coming a time where you have to make a choice. Do you want to be a Wokey? Do you want to be a Mohammedan? Or do you want to be a Christian? And the idea that we can survive in a secular world doesn't make much sense, and it will prove to be a falsehood. So people will have to search their hearts and pray and discern and choose the path that they think is right and true. I know which path is true. Um, and I hope and pray that people open their hearts to Jesus, but there's no um, impediment there. I mean, there's no uh, obligation there. They don't have to. We all have free will. Uh, but I suppose it's what do we want the world to be? Do we want it to be true and good or do we want it to be woke or evil? So perhaps the conservatives could at least help to tear down the lies of Marxism and socialism and to restore at least some principles for the next generation coming up, maybe. At least that's what I'm going to try and do. But thank you, Calvin Robinson. It was an absolute pleasure to have you with us on the show. Where can we find you? The pleasure was all mine. Thank you for the invitation. People can find me at calvinrobinson.com. All my socials are there, my Substack, and yeah, all the links are on there. Well, thank you again for the work that you do. And that is all from us. I'm Alexandra Marshall. Catch you next week.